Ladies and gentlemen, get ready for the boom. Greetings, Hawkeye Band alums and friends, and welcome to the first episode of the Down and Off podcast. Our goal is to bring you interviews with notable Hawkeye Marching Band alumni and friends of the HMB, current members of the band, an occasional visit with Dr. Eric Bush, HMB director, and some surprises along the way. I'm John Brown, co-hosting with Tim Clay, and we are excited about bringing this new series to you. Since this is the first episode, we thought it would be good to give you an introduction to each of us before we get rolling. So, Tim, tell everybody more about you. Thank you, John. Uh, yeah, I am Tim Clay. Uh, I was in the marching band from uh, fall of 08 uh, through fall of 12, graduated in the spring of 13. Uh, I was an alto saxophone player uh, under Kevin Castens. Uh, graduated in spring of 2013. I was a history education major, currently um, teaching uh, history down in Norwalk, Iowa, uh, going to all the alumni things I can, uh, directing the uh, alumni pep band. Whenever you guys come back, we, uh, we've seen many of you. We hope to continue to see many of you. Uh, oh, bowl games while I was in Iowa. Went to the uh, 09 Outback Bowl where we whooped up on Steve Spurrier and the Gamecocks of South Carolina. Uh, went to the 2010 Orange Bowl, the coldest Orange Bowl on record where uh, oh, we just whooped up on Georgia Tech um, and their triple option. We made short work of that. Went to two Insight Bowls and then did not go to a bowl game my senior year. Uh, that's okay. We went to four. We won three. It was a very good time. Many years in the pep band as well. A lot of good trips there and excited to learn more about the alumni and hear some stories. John, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I was in the Hawkeye marching band from 1985 through 1989, back when Dr. Morgan Jones was the director. During that time, went to the 86 Rose Bowl when we played UCLA, and um, we won't say much more about that. Um, the 86 Holiday Bowl, when Robbie Houtland kicked the game-winning field goal against San Diego State as time expired. Back to the 87 Holiday Bowl, where we got another one-point victory over Wyoming. The 88 Peach Bowl, where after a season of three ties during the regular season, we got beat by the Wolfpack of North Carolina State. Uh, my fifth year, we didn't go to a bowl game. It was a five and six season. Kind of a tough season. Uh, played trombone all five years in the band. Graduated in the fall of 1990 with a degree in political science. Uh, currently, I am Associate Director of Alumni Relations at St. Cloud State University in St. Cloud, Minnesota, and live in a small town just across the Mississippi River from St. Cloud called Sauk Rapids, population 12,700, salute. I live up here with my wife of 22 years, Sarah, our daughter, Emma, and our son, who very coincidentally happens to be named Hayden. Yes. We did name him after the coach, and my in-laws are still shaking their head. <laughs> so that's a little bit about us. Um, for the first episode that we've got going, we've got a lineup of a couple of folks that you're going to want to hear from to have some fun stories, memories, updates on what's going with the Hawkeye Marching Band. We're going to have Dr. Eric Bush, the director of the Hawkeye Marching Band, talk a lot about what's going on with the band, particularly right now during the COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, things are very different for our current marching band members and everything from rehearsals to obviously the Big Ten, um, not allowing the spirit groups in the stands to perform at games. It is a very, very different band for band number 140. So Dr. Bush is gonna talk to us 
a little bit more about that and, and share some stories. And then this one really excited both Tim and I. We got the voice of the Hawkeye marching band to join us for this episode. And we know him, we love him. Uh, he is one of our treasures in HMB history, and that is Lou Christ. And we had a great conversation with him. Looking forward to sharing that conversation with you and letting you hear his stories. We've got a lot of these memories to share. So after this quick interlude, we'll get started. So let's go down and off. And now on the Down and Off podcast, fresh off tonight's Hawkeye Marching Band rehearsal, we will hear from the director of the Hawkeye Marching Band, Dr. Eric Bush, to give us an update on how the year is going for the band and the world we are living in and some news about homecoming. Dr. Bush, how are you doing, sir? Very well. Thank you for having me tonight. Again, we just finished up rehearsal. It was a, a windy day, and I told the students it's probably the nicest, uh, nicest weather we're going to have this week. I think we're about to get cold, and it's about to be some real marching band out there, but I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Uh, if you could give us an update on how the year has been going with everything going on. So it's been a wild year, um, you know, a, a year different from the, the other 139. So the HMB turned 140 this year. And as I told the students, you know, this is going to be the, the probably the wildest year in our history up until now. Um, but they've been great. You know, the, the, the Hawkeye Marching Band kids are, are resilient. They are, you know, they're dedicated, they're loyal, they, they roll with the punches, and there have been a lot of punches this year, <laughs> you know. Um, I, I think probably the, the biggest thing that was, was, was tough about the situation is that we didn't know what to plan for. You know, Marching Band uh, is all about planning, right? You know, so we, we, we start this process back in, you know, January, February, March, and we start, you know, initial show planning and themes for the year and uh, student leadership and, and, and all that good stuff. And, you know, as we were preparing, you know, for some things, you know, there are just some things that were just great unknowns, you know, what would the season look like and, you know, how much the, the HMB would be involved and to what extent and, you know, how could we do that safely. Um, all the, all the meanwhile, you know, the, um, the science and the, and, the, and the studies were coming out and, and sort of, you know, showing everybody, you know, what this pandemic was going to mean for, you know, for marching bands and, and everyone else for that matter. Um, so I think that was probably the, the hardest part. But, you know, what, what we told the students was this, you know, everything that, that, we, that we do this year will be based in basically, you know, three goals of ours. The very first one is safety. That's our most important goal. The second one is the musical, you know, experience of every student in the HMB. And the third one is engagement. So what we can do for our university and our campus and our community and, you know, keeping our brand relevant and alive and meaningful and, and, and all of that. So, you know, like I told them, if we could be successful in any of those areas, but in that order, um, it would be a super successful year. So, um, of course, we learned um, very late in the summer that the uh, Big Ten football season would be would be canceled this year. Uh, and then we unlearned that <laughs> a few weeks later. And then there's Big Ten football now happening. Um, so the, the unfortunate part is that the band has not yet been invited to Kinnick for the year. Um, so as of right now, this, uh, it's a Big Ten conference rule or Big Ten conference policy, I suppose, that um, that there'll be no bands, no cheerleaders, and no dance teams across all 14 campuses. But the ADs uh, do reserve the right to revisit that policy um, later in the later in the season. So, um, you know, we've we've been focusing on you know some things that, that we haven't been able to focus on in years past, and I think it's been really successful. So, um, you know, we've been we've been calling it you know sort of virtual band 140. So we're meeting um, you know in, in smaller groups and rotating through those you know those pet bands. So we we divided the HMB into the IOW and A pet bands. 
Um, we're rehearsing the I and O bands on Tuesday, Thursdays, and then we're rehearsing the uh, W and A pet bands on Wednesday, Friday. Um, so at any given moment, we've got about half of the HMB, sometimes full drum line, uh, sometimes split drum line, sometimes they do subsectionals and whatnot. You know, we've been working on, you know, sort of our virtual game day performances. So we started with, you know, the most, uh, uh, the most traditional of the HMB, so pre-games, we recorded all that good stuff. Uh, we recorded uh, a bunch of our rec building standards that we would play on a, on a, on a, on a weekly basis. Um, and then we're working on a couple half times as well. We've sort of been releasing those as the, as the season goes on. Uh, but I think it's been really great. Our, you know, our, our friends, our fans, our family, our alumni have been you know, really supportive. They've enjoyed hearing the band and, you know, sort of in that context. You know, as I told the students too, you know, you know, we, we love collaborating with Hawkeye football. We're huge football fans. We want, you know, we want Iowa athletics to be, to be, to be great all the time. Um, but we're not, you know, totally tied to them. You know, we are our own brand as well as we have been for generations and generations. So we have, you know, we have meaning beyond athletics. So we're, you know, we are an important part of the campus community. We are an important part of what makes the Hawkeye spirit so great. Um, and there's a lot of other things that we can sort of accomplish too. So we've been just seeing if we could, you know, focus on some of those things. So um, one little plug for the website. So if you go to hawkeyemarchingband.uiowa.edu um, and then there's a little tab at the top and you click on band 140, that'll give you um, sort of a rundown of all the safety and protocols and mitigation techniques that we're using. So how we deal with face masks, how we deal with sanitation of our hands, how we deal with sanitation of mouthpieces, um, our bell covers, our social distancing practices, all of that stuff. The students take a daily survey to, you know, confirm that they don't have any symptoms that are, um, that are possibly related to COVID. Um, there are mitigation protocols in place for, for all of that um, and how we're sort of, you know, working with the year. But also our virtual performances are there as well. So um, you can already see uh, pre-game, you can see our rec building virtual performance, you can see the series, uh, and then in a couple weeks you'll be able to see our first halftime show, and then hopefully a couple weeks after that our second halftime show. Um, so it's been a good year, you know, certainly different than what the students are used to, you know, we're not, you know, we're not accustomed to not, you know, skying out on the field for 70,000 people, it's very strange to us, but, um, but there's some other things that we can focus on, and again, these students are resilient, and they've done a great job working, and, you know, and working in the ways that we can work this year. Excellent, so plug, once again, that was hawkeyemarchingband.uiowa.edu. Correct. Yep. And then you'll see a bunch of tabs at the top. If you go to band 140, that's the, that's the page. And that'll give you all of our sort of our safety protocols and how we're keeping everybody safe this year. And then also how we're doing our virtual performances. Very cool. Well, Eric, we, we ought to, we, we got to talk about the, the story about how we're bringing the Sudler trophy home because uh, this is, this is at least from folks from maybe my era and before, and even after for any of us is something important. And, and it goes back to, uh, a little over a year ago when you and I first met, we're, first meeting we had, you had talked about the fact that we won the Sudler Trophy in 1990 as the nation's outstanding college or university marching band. And at the time that we could have purchased the replica 30 years ago, we didn't. And remembering hearing you tell us that story, just heart sunk straight down to stomach and, um, and that the opportunities were there to do that. And uh, was excited that you know, we, we do have the Sudler Trophy coming home. Uh, what I might do is ask you to tell kind of what you had seen leading up to, you know, when you, we, we met and you talked about that a little bit. And, and then we can talk a little bit about the fundraising project and, and where we are now. Yeah, absolutely. So, so as you alluded, you know, the Sudler Trophy is really the Heisman Trophy for, for marching bands, right? You know, there aren't that many Sudler bands out there. I think the the award uh, uh, began um, its existence, I think, in like 1982, and we won it in 1990, so I think we were the, the ninth band to win it. Uh, at some point in the early 2000s, I know they switched to every other year, so there's, you know, I think basically, you know, there's, there's, there's less than 30 bands out there that are, that are you know, the Suttler bands. We're one of them. Um, you know, when I came on as, as director, I think one of the first questions I asked is, you know, like, 
where's the trophy? And um, I thought, well, you know, we, you know we, the flood years and, you know, we were, you know, we, we had storage at, you know, at Menards for a while in the School of Music. And I thought, well, maybe I've just never seen it before. Maybe it's in a box somewhere. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another and I, I very quickly found out, no, we never bought it. So I said, you know, we're, we're you know, we're one of the, one of the first 10 Sutler bands and we, we don't have the trophy here. So that, that's a problem. And, um, you know, we it, it come to find out in, in a box, <laughs> there was a, a plaque that sort of shows like a, an engraved, you know, picture of the Sutler and there's, you know, and they sort of, sure enough, there's the, there's the engraving and all that. And it was, it was over in a box in the HTRC. And we took it out and polished it off and put it on the wall, but it's not the same, you know, the, you know, the, the Sutler trophy, you know, is, um, first of all, it's, it's, it's a, the, the trophy itself is a beast. It's a force to be reckoned with. It's, it's huge. It's like, you know, two feet by two feet and um, it weighs about 80 or 90 pounds and it's got a, you know, a granite base on it and all that. And it's, I mean, it's impressive to look at, you know, I mean, and, and the entire, uh, top is all copper and there's a you know a spot on the on the bottom that it goes around and it shows all the other bands that that, that won the Suttler, um you know in, in, in the history and it's, it's very very cool so we have got to own that so again like i was saying i talked to the alums and i said you know this is our 30th year the you know, 30th anniversary of the band or 30th anniversary of winning the Suttler and 140th anniversary of the hawkeye marching man and uh, wouldn't it be great if we could bring the Suttler home and have a nice presentation and you know and sort of maybe welcome back some of those folks um and uh you know sure enough you know it, it was you know the, the alumni jumped at the opportunity to, to fundraise for it and, and, uh, and of course it was really successful but um yeah it's on its way so uh they're, we're working with a little company out in colorado called um, art castings of colorado they are the official maker of the subtle trophy and i didn't know that until i uh, got into the into the sort of the inner workings of this and working with some really nice folks out there and they're um, they've had a lot of questions like for example you know do, you know do, you know do we want it to look like it was going to look you know this year for summer winter or do we want it to look like it was going to look back in 1990 and there were uh, some deciding factors in that but we uh, we went with the 19 the 1990 version we wanted it to look like exactly what it would have looked like you know had it had it come to had it come to us in, in that year so um, hopefully in the next couple of weeks it's going to arrive in the boxman school of music and we'll be really excited to welcome it home and um, and we're going to market the heck out of it and make sure that everybody knows that we've got it now and really pay tribute to, you know, the, the wonderful bands back from the, from the 90s. And, you know, what's cool about the Suttler is it's not just a trophy that, you know, sort of, you know, you know, talks about the band or, you know, tells about the band from that year, but it's, it's, it's the entire history leading up to that band. So, you know, back in that time, you know, the, they were, you know, the band was 110 years old and that's, you know, the, the history of, of the Hawkeye marching band for 110 years is what led to, you know, the Suttler committee, you know, giving it to the, to the Hawkeye marching band. So it's a, it's a great tribute to all of the, you know, the, the past directors and past students and certainly is a, you know, great homage mm -hmm. to what will come in the future as, as well. So it's a wonderful award. And I'm, I'm happy we're finally going to have a copy of it. Yeah, it was mind blowing how quickly when we did the Gold Rush campaign through the Center for Advancement, how quickly we raised or hit the goal. We opened it up on a Tuesday morning and 48 hours later, we hit the goal, which was pretty incredible. I'm going to mention, though, the, the difference between the 1990 trophy and the way it looks now um, was a fun point of conversation last year at homecoming. And, and one of the more fun, probably the most fun conversation I've had with you yet, Eric, we, we've had many good conversations and fun conversations, but it was, gosh, which, which version do we want? And I remember we, we both agreed we got to have the 1990 version because if we had the current version, there's a certain band from over in Ames that would have been on that trophy. And I think we both thought it would be a cold day somewhere before we would want their name on the trophy. So that is why, alumni band friends, we will have the 1990 version of the trophy in our possession in a couple of weeks. That's true. And it's true. I think they won it back in 2017. So if you circle around the base, it would have been pretty much right next to us. Yeah, I, I think we made a good choice. <laughs>
But yeah, I'm really excited to get it here. I mean, I mean 48 hours, been absolutely incredible to raise that, that sort of money to be able to have it. And, um, and it really speaks to the dedication of the alums. I mean, how proud they are of that trophy. And, you know, you, you talk to folks about the Suddler, you know, know certainly who were in the band back then. You remember winning it, remember how big of a deal it was and the documentary mm -hmm. that was done on it. So um, it's just a really nice time to sort of get nostalgic and really think about the history of this band and you know, what it's meant to the folks who've been in it. So it's awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you once again to all the alumni listening who donated. We really appreciate you helping us achieve that goal. That was fantastic. We literally could not have done without you. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, also, wanted to ask you a question as well. Uh, you, were, uh, you were not always the director of the Hawkeye Marching Band. At one point, you were a, uh, a grad staff or a TA. Uh, you were my TA my final year, uh, or at least you were in the band. Uh, I, I, you were a trumpet TA. I was saxophone, but... Um, was just curious how it looks going from being TA within the marching band to the director of the marching band. What are some differences? What's life like? And no, it, it, that, that's a good question. So, I mean, I mean, so obviously when I was a TA is when I fell in love with Iowa. I fell in love with the Hawkeye Marching Band and all the things, uh, University of Iowa. You know, my, my wife and I are, are both from Michigan, but, you know, we've lived lots of places. And, you know, Iowa was sort of top on our list of places we both wanted to go for grad school. And, uh, you know, we were really fortunate to, to get those positions at that time. And, you know, and, and, and you know, we consider this a second home. I mean, we're, we're from Michigan. We always love our our Michigan family, but, you know, but, but being in Iowa, you know, this is, a, is really a place that we belong. And, you know, when, when, when we were here um, and I was working as a TA with the Hawkeye Marching Band, um, it was a great experience. You know, Professor Castens did a, did a wonderful job allowing the TAs to really take a leadership role. You know, we're the only uh, band in the Big Ten that doesn't have an assistant director. So the, the TAs really do get to function as, you know, sort of, you know, quasi assistant directors for the ensemble. Um, and there was no exception when I was here too, you know, so I was writing drill for the HMB and I was writing music for the HMB and getting to conduct on the center ladder and uh, deal with organizational things and working with the Hawkeye or the Iowa Pet Band and all that great stuff. So I think probably the, 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 the biggest difference from being a TA to the director um, is that, you know, you know, you're, you're in charge of the vision at that point, you know, from, you know, from, from a standpoint of being a TA, you know, we were working on Mr. Casson's vision, which was a great one. And we were, you know, we were, we were all working, you know, toward, you know, towards those goals. But, you know, when you become the director, you really sort of get to reimagine, you know, what the band could be and where we want it to go, you know, so the band has taken on, you know, so many different forms over the generations and, you know, what, what was important for different directors and, and whatnot. But, um, but certainly, you know, trying to move the band forward in a, in, a, in a way that it hasn't been moved forward before is a, is a big part of what I want to do. And I think you know, what's exciting about being director is now I can control some of that, right? You know, there are a lot of rungs on that ladder. And there's a lot of uh, a lot of things that need to happen in terms of, you know, fundraising and um, different, you know, strategic initiatives and whatnot. But I think that, you know, that that's probably the most exciting thing is now there's, you know, I have the, you know, the sort of the, the steering capability and, um, and we can sort of reimagine and dream about what this band, you know, is already so great, you know, what, but what, you know, how could it become greater and how, what could it become in the next, you know, in the next couple, couple decades. So, but a lot of fun. Yeah. I've, I've always loved it. You know, um, it's sort of the, uh, the, the cliche thing that I said, you know, is when I was a TA, I got to be the, you know, I got to be the, the, the fun uncle, but now I sort of have to be daddy every once in a while, but, but that's just, that's just how that works. And the buck, buck has to stop with me from time to time, but you know, but it's a, I knew what I was getting into and I love every minute of it. Obviously, Eric, we hope to be able to have you come back from time to time and give us updates as different things are going on. Um, so do not see this as the only time that we'll have you on the podcast with us. No, that's awesome. Yeah. And I, if, yeah, and like I said, if we, we can decide on topics whenever you know, I can talk as long as we need to on, on all this stuff. But 
cool. We, I don't know if we, uh, we, we found out today that the, um, uh, there's going to be another large six figure endowment coming to the band. So today was an exciting day for fundraising. We've had a few of those now. And um, this one specifically is going to go to benefit the Hawkeye drum line, which is really good. And that's been a you know, sort of exciting process to be a part of, but yeah, things are, things are really firing on all cylinders. There's a lot of really good stuff that's happening. It's very cool. Found some very cool stuff in the archives the other night too, which was really awesome. You know, I, I mean, the, the, the sort of the, you know, the, the, it's a treasure hunt. It really is, you know, cause you're going through this stuff. You have no idea what you're going to find and um, sort of, you know, tying all the little pieces of history together. And it was very cool to sort of dig through some of that and, you know, and just see, see what the band was doing. And um, you know, it, you know, the archives aren't very organized, but there's a lot there. There's, you know, there's, I mean, there's really a ton of photographs and, um, and, and drill charts and, and uh, you know, and, and memorabilia and scripts and all kinds of good stuff. And it was sort of fun to, you know, to go back and look and see what the band was, was doing in a, in a much different time. I think one of the coolest things that I found was a, a set of drill charts for a combined, uh, wouldn't have been the Hawkeye Marching Man at that point, would have been, you know, probably referred to as a State University of Iowa uh, cadet band. Um, but it was a combination of, uh, of, of the band and the Scottish Highlanders and how pregame was, was done. Um, and just, you know, the, the way we think about drill today is so much different than the way they thought about it before. So there were, you know, it was, it was all very militaristic in terms of the, the commands and you didn't really have to show people where they were going to the next set because if you just said you're going to drop turn for four and you're going to forward march eight and then right flank eight and then you'll end up in the right spot and if that becomes a block eye that's what's supposed to happen so it was sort of interesting to see how the you know the, the, the you know, how, how drill was thought about back then how it was sort of you know how you know how how they taught it you know it was very interesting mm -hmm. this was i think i think this specific one was back in the early 1940s so it was world war ii time and very interesting to see how the band was functioning in a crazy time in its own right but mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. So we're going to keep doing these uh, archival digging projects and get through it all. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if um, uh, if we told everybody, but the the all the display cases downstairs are going to eventually have all the HMB uh, memorabilia in it, and it's going to be sort of a uh, Windows by Director sort of a sort of a deal. And uh, we use the fins that are on the second floor and the display cases on the first floor. And um, once all that's sort of in the bag, then we'll just start really just archiving everything and getting digital copies so that we can really search through it and see all the different, you know, cool stuff, the uniforms. I have this hope that somebody's going to have a uniform from like back in the 40s and 50s, you know, the, the old, the, the, you know, like the one that looks like Ohio State with the, with the, the crosses on it. And then, you know, the, it comes right from the ROTC tradition and, and all that. But I hope, hope we'll find one at some point. It'd be really cool to have um, all different uniforms from, from the HMB represented over time. That would so, be cool. I hope you heard that, listeners. If you uh, have any old HMB uniforms or you know of anyone that has some like really old HMB uniforms, HMB artifacts, please reach out to uh, Dr. Bush, reach out to uh, Kathy Ford and mm -hmm. um, let us know. And that'd be awesome to include that in this excellent history project. Or even pieces of it. I mean, if you've got anything from that, from that time period, we're looking to sort of connect the dots and, you know, and, and you know, connect our history. Excellent. Very cool. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Bush, for your excellent leadership of the Hawkeye Marching Band. Thank you for talking with us tonight. Uh, we love what you're doing with the band. We look forward to seeing what you have in store for the band and hearing from you again. Uh, Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. And again, we couldn't do any of this without our wonderful alumni. I mean, I mean, our, our generations and generations of support, you know, go a long way in making us able to do what we do with the current HMB. So thanks to all the alums for uh, the support you've given me and the support you've given this band for, for so many years and how you just, you know, you keep doing it a day in, day in and day out. So thank you. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you.
Welcome back to the Down and Off podcast. I'm John Brown with Tim Clay, and we have a very special guest on our first episode. He is a gentleman that all of us know, and it wouldn't be a Saturday in Kinnick Stadium without hearing him tell us to get ready for the boom. Our guest, obviously, is the voice of the Hawkeye marching band, Lou Christ. Lou, thank you so much for joining us on this first episode of the Down and Off podcast. Well, it's my pleasure, and I'm uh, honored to uh, be a part of this first one. We're hoping to really have a lot of fun with this. So let's just jump right in. Tim, if you want to throw the first question Lou's way. Mm -hmm. So just the basics. I know, Lou, everyone in the band, we all know who you are, but just in case we have some folks from outside the band, can you tell us who you are, what you played while you were in the band, what your role is with the band? Um, what, what years you were in the band and what you're doing now for the band? Okay. Well, uh, I live in Iowa City. I have since 1972. Uh, married to my wife, uh, Jan. And we have two sons. One's in Colorado, uh, adult sons. And one is here in Iowa City. Uh, both Jan and I met at the University of Iowa. And uh, we have been football fans for a long time. And uh, back in the, well, actually to start, I was in the Hawkeye Marching Band in uh, 1956, I'm sorry, 1958 and 59, and was fortunate to go to the 1959 Rose Bowl, which was just a tremendous trip. Uh, we went by train, Santa Fe, uh, from Fort Madison, Iowa, I uh, had a great time in California. Uh, Iowa had a tremendous team. They were ranked second in the nation at that time and uh, took care of the University of California Golden Bears uh, in that game. And uh, so anyway, it was uh, uh, 38 to 12. So that was a great victory and uh, tremendous experience in the band. Uh, back then, uh, the Hawkeye Marching Band numbered 120, all male. Uh, we had two uh, twirlers and a drum major. And uh, so anyway, that was, uh, that was the amount of our band at that time. Uh, when we went out, uh, we went by Santa Fe. And uh, as I said, and I had a, a tremendous trip out, uh, we were able to get uh, blazers ahead of time that we wore while we were in California. Uh, and had Iowa Hawkeye Band on it and that kind of thing. So anyway, that was terrific. Uh, I graduated in uh, 1960 with a degree from the University of Iowa in speech and dramatic arts. Uh, later on, uh, I got a master's degree in 81. And uh, I wanna mention uh, 1981 uh, because uh, several things uh, were big in my life. Uh, at that time, I was diagnosed with a cancerous tumor above the left knee and ended up in having uh, an amputation. And since that time, I've been able to do very well. I'm very uh, uh, thankful for that and wear above knee uh, prosthesis most of the time. I was also finishing up uh, a master's degree in, in post-secondary and continuing education. I had called Morgan Jones because Jan and I had been to the games and I called him after the, uh, at the end of the 1981 season. Uh, and anyway, we talked for a while 
And uh, anyway, I said, I wondered if he needed a public address announcer. And he said, as a matter of fact, uh, we do, because the gentleman that had been doing it was working for the uh, KXIC, not KXIC, WSUI uh, at the university and took a job in Minnesota. Anyway, we did an audition and uh, he uh, offered me the position. Uh, one of the things he asked me at the time, he says, I need to ask you, do you like football? And I said, yes, I certainly do. And he thought that was very important, uh, that that was a prerequisite for sure. Anyway, uh, I had the amputation in March of 1981, and I decided to call Morgan, and I told him about the situation. And I said, you know, I don't know whether you want to rethink this and maybe find somebody else as far as doing the announcing. And Morgan had a tremendous response. He said, well, why? Did it affect your voice? And I said, no, I don't think so. He says, well, let's go with it. And anyway, I will have to say that being the announcer for the Hawkeye Marching Band uh, has helped me tremendously. And it certainly did in that first, second year and so on of uh, going places and having to get into uh, the press box uh, at uh, the Rose Bowl and all of this kind of thing. It was, it's just been a tremendous thing. And so I've been fortunate uh, to be able to be the announcer since 1981. I, uh, I joke, uh, I say that, uh, you know, it must be that uh, university bands at the University of Iowa uh, must let me do this until I get it right. And so anyway, uh, that's been a great thrill and I've enjoyed it all the way. And you picked the right first season to do that because that was just as the Hayden Fry era was really taking off. That's right. That's right. Oh, wow. Yeah, the Iowa teams were really starting to gel then. And mm -hmm. uh, so anyway, what a tremendous thing. I will have to add that starting in 81, Iowa was able to win the Big Ten. And we went uh, to the Rose Bowl, the 82 Rose Bowl. Uh, and we played the University of Washington, uh, didn't win it, but that was the first uh, bowl game in like 17, 18 years. Iowa had not had a winning season in all that time and then uh, was able to come out of that, uh, that season in uh, 1981 and went to the 82 Rose Bowl. And so my first year doing it, we went to the Rose Bowl and I thought, wow, this is just Unbelievable. <laughs> it was incredible. Lou, let me ask you this. You mentioned when you were in the period of time that you were in the Hawkeye Marching Band and you were in the HMB during the Fred Ebbs era. And many of us in later generations have heard stories of Fred Ebbs and the bands of those days. So I'd ask if you'd please share with us what it was like to be in the band back during that time with Fred as the director. Well, uh, Fred was a tremendous director and uh, just uh, we had, um, I would say, pretty disciplined rehearsals. But uh, anyway, he was not mean in any way. He would not, uh, uh, he would not insult anybody. He would not be condescending, but he was able to get his ideas across. Uh, one of the things that uh, I was on the receiving end 
uh, of one time, and I thought this was uh, great fun, didn't take it wrong at all. Uh, we were in a formation, and I happened to be at the point of the formation, and I was off somehow, and he had a megaphone, and uh, I will say this, he seemed to know every member's name, like we were 120, but anyway, he knew the names. That, I, always in rehearsals, uh, he would be able to call people by name, and I thought that was very impressive. But anyway, he's on the megaphone, and he says, Chris, you were outstanding that time, outstanding on the wrong yard line. <laughs> and I thought, okay, <laughs> made your point, I understand. I won't be the next time. <laughs> but no, I uh, enjoyed his, uh, his directing very much and he got everything we could out of the band. I think uh, the band was highly respected. And I need to mention that Tom Davis, uh, and maybe a lot of people don't know, when they think of Tom Davis, there's two Tom Davises that were associated with the University of Iowa. One was a basketball coach, a very successful one, and the other was uh, with the music department, and he was professor of percussion, and he was the assistant director at that time, and uh, just uh, enjoyed both of them very much, and uh, I was really pleased to have been able to be in the marching band uh, when Fred Ebbs was, uh, was the director, and then he left a few years after I finished, and I think went uh, to Indiana University and, and was there with their band for some years. That's excellent. And if, if I can ask uh, as well, um, you know, the, uh, the marching band, the instruments, sometimes we can get a little competitive with each other. So what instrument did you play? Which section gets to claim the great Lou Christ as being part of their own? Uh, I played baritone and uh, euphonium. And uh, I'm uh, sorry to say that uh, since the time that uh, I finished and was no longer with the marching band, I'm afraid I have not really touched a baritone or euphonium since. That may be good. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lou, we've got to ask, when and where did the boom come from? You know, I wish I could answer that because I... <laughs> I don't know. I can't tell you. It seemed like it, it came along sometime in the, in the 80s. And then now in my head, it seems like it disappeared for a while. And then somehow it, it came along again. And I don't know, uh, some of the band members or something uh, had, uh, had brought that up. And pretty soon it got to a place where people said this we need to use this. We need to say, uh, ladies and gentlemen, time now for the boom, or are you ready for the boom? And I can't tell you much past that. I don't know how that originated for sure. But anyway, that's certainly been a part of it for some time. Mm -hmm. okay. I'll throw the next question to you, Lou. How have you seen the Hawkeye Marching Band change or evolve over your time as the voice of the band? Well, uh, for one thing, uh, it's, it's quite a, a challenge, I think, for 
university bands now, football bands, because back in the day when I was in the band, we usually did not do the kinds of angles across the field that you see nowadays and, and things that move, the formations that move and you're not lined up uh, either on yard lines or at least you can be between yard lines but still see that you, where you're supposed to be uh, and then perpendicular to the yard lines. It's not a grid kind of performance anymore. Bands are spread out over the field and sometimes from one end to the other. So one of the important things is you have uh, the director in the center on the 50 yard line, and then you have directors down on the 30, 35. And when you're trying to keep everybody together as far as playing, that's very important. Watch the directors. And then the other thing is that you're You've, you've rehearsed over and over uh, forming these various kinds of uh, uh, almost abstract shapes in some cases, and that's not particularly easy to line up on. So that's one of the big changes. And then uh, I guess the numbers uh, have increased as far as marching band members uh, over what, uh, as I said, 120 at that time. And so uh, that's enabled uh, a lot of bands to be able to do some, some really fine music and, and get a lot more kids involved with the bands uh, and, and be a part of it. And the other thing is that it, it's, it's a different thing maybe coming from high school uh, because uh, depending on what the season is, how many games Iowa has in a row, you may have three games, three home games in a row, and the band has got to learn a show uh, for each of those games. And so you've just gotten off the first one, uh, which is the first of the season. Everybody's kind of, you've got the new members and, and you've got the others that are, we're all trying to get that put together and everybody uh, knows what they're supposed to be doing. And you come off that Saturday and then the next week you're working like crazy. Uh, trying to learn the show for the second game, and then maybe for a third game. That happens occasionally. So uh, there's that kind of thing, and you've really got to uh, work very hard at rehearsals and, and sometimes with not much time to, uh, to learn shows. That was a huge culture shock for me my freshman year. I was a freshman right. back in 1985, and you know we had that first game against Drake. We did our show. It was all great and, and all of that. And then we went back to practice Tuesday, and then they handed out charts for a new show, having not knowing the transition from high school band to college band. What do you mean a new show? Huh? What do you mean? <laughs> Uh, so yeah. I yeah I I can absolutely relate to that. <laughs> yeah, that that could be culture shock, all right, and mm -hmm. uh, it, it becomes a matter of uh, you actually think, well, I don't think we can get this all put together by, but uh, anyway, it happens, and it seems like uh, by game time uh, that things do fall together somehow they fall together. And uh, everybody sort of rises to the occasion, and that's uh, another great experience of being in a in a college or a university marching band with uh, uh, with football. It's just a great experience that way. Absolutely. 
And I love how, like, even with those one-week shows, like, it gives you the opportunity to play so much more music than, like, you know, if you only did a show a year, you'd have, like, four shows. But, like, we're hitting different genres and different music every week. Right. It's fun to go back and talk about your favorite shows and whatnot. Uh, have there been some favorite shows that you've seen over the years that you've had the opportunity to announce that stood out to you? Well, uh, I, I'm trying to think. The, the, the band, when I was in it, we did uh, a show, uh, and it was to Blues in the Night. And uh, it was a drill. And then we had not done, uh, I don't think bands had done drills as such, where you had segments of the band separating and moving and then coming back together again, that kind of thing, as opposed to maybe forming pictures or something like that on the field. And so uh, I was, uh, I graduated with a degree in speech and dramatic arts. And I took a couple of TV courses, and one of the courses I took, the final uh, project was to do produce a television show. And I invited Tom Davis uh, to come on, and I was the director and the producer, and one of my uh, schoolmates was the interviewer. And I wanted Tom to show how he, because he designed the shows, he would put the shows together. And I wanted him to demonstrate to people how he did that. And so we had a football field. It was roughly, uh, oh, uh, two and a half feet or so. And it was with lines. And then he would have pieces of cardboard. And uh, he demonstrated then how, with this drill, as I said, to blues in the night, how he put that together and moved the various segments of the band uh, and then we had the film of that that we did on the field. And anyway, that was a great, I thought it was, uh, uh, I'm bragging here, but I thought it was a really educational show and very entertaining to see, first of all, how things were put together by Tom and then how it ended up on the field and how it appeared. And anyway, that is a DVD uh, that, uh, and that was back in the days of black and white television. Uh, and it was recorded on Kinescope as such. It's a film, but we put it to a DVD. But anyway, that, uh, that was a very, uh, I know we uh, enjoyed doing that show. And that was kind of a, uh, uh, kind of the first time that that, that, particular kind of a uh, drill was done. And then I think, I can't remember, there's just been a number of shows. Any show I think that uh, honored uh, veterans on Veteran Day, military kinds of things where we would have maybe uh, a large flag or some kind of special recognition of uh, the service people and be able to do, uh, say, a, a medley of the service songs mm -hmm. and inviting people in the stadium to stand up if they were uh, a Marine or if they were in the Army or the Air Force or the Coast Guard. Those were, those were great shows and I think people really enjoyed those very much. I would agree. And I, I loved hearing you say that. And now a salute to our Marines and stand up and mm -hmm. we'd launch into the song and oh yeah, those were great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, it, it's uh, 
it's it's great to to see uh, to get the the fans really involved in something like that and then of course the fans around uh, the people that were standing they would applaud mm -hmm. and it was just a, a a very a very nice thing to do and i think much appreciated by the fans and uh, and i i think that that it's hard to go back and and say uh, there's a favorite show necessarily uh some of them uh maybe didn't turn the fans on that much, uh, mm -hmm. I have to say. And then other times there was music and uh, whatever the band was doing that really got uh, the, uh, the stadium of uh, 69, 70,000 people, whatever it was, uh, really enthused. And so uh, anyway, you, you had that kind of thing going on and it was, uh, it was just a, a terrific, I, I keep saying a great experience. That's great. Well, Lou, we're going to ask you one more question, and we're not going to make it easy on you. Um, is there one memory, either, either as a band member or as the voice of the Hawkeye Marching Band, that, that one that just really stands out over all the rest in all the years that you've been a part of the Hawkeye Marching Band family? Well, uh, I, I will relate this, uh, and this goes back to my early days of doing it and getting around with a uh, an artificial leg. Uh, but this was back when we made a trip, the Iowa band made a trip to West Lafayette uh, to play Purdue. Uh, we stayed in Indianapolis the night before the game. And then we went up to Purdue. And if people who have been to Purdue, their, uh, their press box is very similar to Iowa's. I think Iowa's is a, is a little nicer uh, anyway, but nevertheless, this was before they had done some major work on their press box. And when I got there, it turned out that where you had to go to do the public address announcing was on the floor where the reporters were, sort of the media area where the working press box is. And then there was a trap door uh, in the ceiling and in order to get up there, you had to go up uh, like in a barn with boards nailed against the wall. And here I am, I'm, I'm thinking, how am I going to get, to get up there? But anyway, I managed and I got up there and I got through. And then when you get, it's a very small area where the announcer was for the game itself, as well as the vans. And then once you're there, they put the trap door down and then you have a couple of chairs and a, and a desk kind of arrangement. And anyway, so that was a very interesting experience of uh, trying to get up there. And that was for the pregame. And then the Purdue folks were very uh, considerate. And for halftime, they dropped a microphone down. And so I'm standing there amongst the working members of the press box and the reporters, and I'm doing my announcing right on the floor there of the Hawkeye uh, halftime show at Purdue. And uh, anyway, I have to say that that has really stuck in my mind. And, and that was just another example of facing various situations that mm -hmm. uh, uh, were challenging. But you look back on them and say, my, that was, that was something else to go through. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I'm sure there are others too, but... Uh, Anyway, uh, mm -hmm. 
that's that's been one that's kind of stuck with me for quite a while. And Purdue, I will have to say, has made major improvements <laughs> their facilities since. I'm not I'm not denigrating them at all. <laughs> but that was a long time ago. <laughs> oh sure, sure. Well, Lou, we've taken a lot of your time, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I know everybody in the Hawkeye Marching Band family over the years and decades that have been a part of this group absolutely appreciate everything that you have done for us. You are, I, I, I equate you just personally as a national treasure to the Hawkeye Marching Band organization. Uh, we, we could not have done it without you. Um, you, you are that important to all of us. We love you and we always will appreciate everything that you've done and you continue to do for the Hawkeye marching band. And, and just even this time that you've spent with us, um, has been wonderful. So thank you, Lou, so much. We, we greatly appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. You've been very gracious for sure. Uh, but thank you much. And I've enjoyed this immensely. Have Great. really enjoyed it. Thank you. And we were wondering, like, I, I, I'm, I assume we barely scratched the surface of all the stories you could tell us and everything. Would, would you be willing to come back another time? Certainly. Yes. Be glad to. You bet. Good. You bet. We've been talking with Lou Christ, the voice of the Hawkeye Marching Band here on the Down and Off Podcast. We want to thank our guests for this first episode for taking the time to talk with us and share their stories with you. Hearing about the Hawkeye Marching Band from their points of view has been a lot of fun. Our plan is to bring you more stories and memories as well as what is going on with the current band as we move forward. And don't be surprised if you hear from us to share your story with the Hawkeye Marching Band family. So Tim, um, for this first episode, what did we learn? Well, John, we learned a little bit about what the current marching band was up to. Uh, love hearing about the, uh, the different pep bands that they've been divided into, the way that they are uh, recording their music to uh, spread on social media and keep things up. Seems like Dr. Bush has really got a good handle on the band and they're doing some good stuff this year. What did you learn today, John? Well, learned a lot about Lou Christ and how he got started working for Dr. Jones as the voice of the Hawkeye marching band and loved his story about when he talked about Fred Ebbs calling him out in practice and said, you're outstanding. You're outstanding out on the 45 yard line. Uh, <laughs> just, just hearing everything that he's done over the decades as a marching band member. And then for now, gosh, since 1981, so nearly 40 years, the voice of the Hawkeye marching band and, and just the, the memories that he has in both capacities was absolutely incredible. Absolutely. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, our hope is to launch a new episode every two to three weeks. I mean, let's face it, John and I both have regular jobs that we're trying to do this weekly just wouldn't be feasible, but we're going to be reaching out to folks. We're going to be getting interviews and trying to get this out every two to three weeks as we can. Most of all, we want to thank you for listening to this first Down and Off podcast, and we look forward to joining you again soon. <laughs>